This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That of opposition fans, Joe, let's just say had songs to try and put you off your game. Did did that ever affect <laughs> you and have you got any good stories about that? It did affect me. It affected me to the, the stage that I used to go and score goals against them because of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harper's a barrel. Harper's a barrel of you know what. I loved it. I loved it. In fact, we played Celtic one day at Parkhead. This is a true story. And the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the game much. And when the ball did come, it bounced off my leg and go away and I'd lose it. And eventually I heard this, Harper's a barrel, Harper's a barrel of S-H-I-T. And I turned around quickly. And Bill, Bill McNeil was standing about 15 yards away from the wood man. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, hey, you watch it. I said, no need for that. What are you talking about? So the ball went out of the park and they came back again about five minutes later and same thing happened you know, when I'm under my foot or something like, ah, pars that bar, oh. And I turned quickly, I said, John Clark standing. I said, is it you? He says, what are you talking about? I said, hey, you know, get a grip of yourself. So, <laughs> so the third time it happened, as soon as I heard Harper, I turned very quickly. It was Drew Jarvie. <laughs> he was singing it. I, I used to call him Baldy. I said, what are you doing? He said, hey, man. He says, Every time a Celtic fan sing Harper's a barrel, he always scores a goal. He went to none that day and I scored both goals. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> tremendous. No, it didn't bother me. I, the way I always looked at it was if they're shouting at you, it's because you're causing problems. And that helped, that helped me. Another question before we come to the Everton spell, I'd like to mention just because you played in an era of football when... Players were just, let's be honest, a lot braver. And, and that's summed up by you played, I'm sure this is a true story, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you played a game the day after you'd basically thrown yourself, you'd came through a car windscreen and had 42 stitches and three crack, crack jobs, that's is that correct? Yeah, no, it wasn't a day after, Carl. I, I, I wasn't that clever. I'd been at a wedding on a Saturday before the game the Saturday before we played Rangers at Petaudry and I scored and I had a wedding in Stonehaven when I, I was driving down the middle of winter time November, December so I was driving down to meet my girlfriend at the time she was a bridesmaid at the wedding in the Commodore Hotel and I wasn't drinking because I'd been kicked in the head during the game and the, the doctor said to me listen he said if you get headaches I said take these pills to your headaches Stay home, he says, no mustn't about or go to the, go to the casualty and tell me I've had an headache. No problem. So I went to dinner. Obviously, I, I didn't eat because I, I missed the, the, the meal, etc. And it was, the music was so loud, and I just said, oh, no, I can't be bothered. So I said to my girlfriend, I said, I'm just going to go home uh, to the flat. I said, I'll see you. You make the way uh, home. Have a good time. I'll see you later on. On the way back, I had the car crash, and the... Uh, it was, uh, I'm heading into Aberdeen, it wasn't a motorway in those days, I'm heading in two, two, two lane motor, 
and I'm I'm driving in, and a car came right down and crossed right across in front of me, and I had to pull out, so I couldn't pull to the left because there's, uh, there's young uh, cottages in the left. I came right into somebody's house, and I pulled it to the right and hit a guy behind this guy that caught across me, hit him head on. Um, so I had three crack grabs and 42 stitches in my face. Oh. Um, going to the hospital, got breathalyzed, and everything was okay. I hadn't had a drink anyway, so I was okay with that. Um, and then Sunday morning, I had to go and see Eddie Turnbull. I didn't have to go because he didn't know, but I went down to see him, knocked his door, and his daughter came. Uh, and she said, oh, join. Oh, I heard was Eddie saying, what the hell's he been up to now? And he came to the door, he said, oh, for Christ, he says, what have you done? There's a car crash, uh, boss. I says, a boy cut right across me and I had a boy behind him. He says, was I breathless? Was I drinking? I said, no, no. I said, I was breathless. I said, I haven't been clear. There's no problem with that. He says, okay. So that was it. So I've, I've gone down, I've gone to the hospital and the Asked of me, you know, sticky tape, that big roll of sticky tape I've got in the poor room, my ribs, because I've cracked three ribs. <clears throat> so on a Friday, I've now got stitches in, I've got my ribs all taped up. I'm looking through, I've got my head up the way, because I, I, if I put my head down, I can't see from my the stitches. So I've got to look up at everything. So I get on a Friday, and uh, the team sheet's up in the, oh, not the team sheet, the players that are going to be involved the next day is up in the notice board. And I'm going to do that. And I see Harper. Oh, oh you're a beauty. I says, the boss has kept me in. He, he, he says, that's fine. I'll get a bonus if we win. So um, David, in the address room, are sitting there and he starts to read the team out. He gets your number nine. He says, Harper. And I burst out laughing. <laughs> he says, who are you? Who are you laughing at? <laughs> I said, I've got 42 sticks in my eyes and I've got my ribs all taped on me, you're playing me. <clears throat> he says, aye. Oh, you kidding me, eh? He says, no. He says, you're playing. We played Hibs. Uh, we went out. I scored two goals in the first half. Jeez. He took me off at half time. Wow. He said, you've done your job. Well done. First ball, the first ball that I got, I got hit in the face with it by Jim Hermerson. I played it back to Jim. We took to the centre. I played it back to Jim and I went to run up the part and I turned to come back again and he hit her. He hit me right in the face and I broke I took out three or four stitches. There was blood everywhere, but he just played on me. There's no clearing, just got on there. So that was, that was my, my bravery thing. But I also played with a broken arm against Rangers. Uh, John Gregg had broken my arm. That's unbelievable. Uh, it wasn't, he didn't mean to break my arm, it was just the way it happened. Yeah. Um, I got a tackle and I broke it. And I played against some Fairland the following week we on that, and not a plaster, because you weren't allowed to wear plasters. Uh, and the same thing, as a, as a frosty day, like it is just now outside. Frosty, the ground was hard. Uh, I scored the winning goal, and then he, he took me off after that as well. So I didn't care what was wrong, as long as I could walk, as long as I could run, as long as I could kick, I'd be out there playing. But uh, probably a bit stupid when I think about it now. Well, that's the thing, though, Joe. It's like you think to the attitude now when you get certain footballers at the top level saying, "Oh, I'm not feeling a hundred percent. I'm only feeling seventy percent. I'll just sit it out." And you've just told those stories there, and you think to yourself, "Some of these guys that are earning millions of pounds per year, they've got an absolute cheek to sit out when they've got a wee, a wee strain or a wee niggle." When when you're playing games with broken arms and scoring goals with with, with three cracked mm. ribs, you know it's bonkers. Somebody, somebody did my metatarsal. I never heard of a metatarsal. 
Tore 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So Beckham got a uh, meta pass or praise. Um, yeah, I know, but that's a breed. That's a breed. And at the end of the day, money is ruining the game. You know, especially in England, but the big money is ruining the game. I mean, now they're not interested in winning their, their FA Cup. All they're interested in is staying in the Premier League down there because they get 60 million. Every team gets 60 million at the beginning of the year from Sky TV and stuff like that. So, you know, they're not interested in winning cups. They're playing their full team every week. They're playing their full team. They put their under-21s into the, 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 not the FA Cup, but the other cup, yeah. uh, league cup type thing. Um, yeah, it is, it is, and if you're getting, getting 30,000 to 40,000 pounds a week and you've got a wee, a wee scratch in your foot or something, I'm not going to play the day. And I mean, I think I might want to go away for a few days holiday and get a bit of sun and stuff like that. I mean, that's what's happened. You know, professionalism can really use the game. Uh, I also don't think, and I'm serious with this, I don't think the game is as skillful now as it was in our days. You know, the Baxters and the Jimmy Johnson, who are that, Lee Gordon Strachan at Aberdeen, you know, and even goal scorers' skill is a lot better than the standards that are now. They're all athletes now. They've all got 12 packs or 24 packs or whatever it is that they have. They've all got their haircuts. No wonder they get so much money they need it for their haircuts, their tattoos. I mean, all we were interested in was playing football. And when we went to games, another thing, when we went to games, we went with a collar and tie on. If it wasn't was the club suit, then you had a suit on, you had a collar and tie. You didn't go in with your earphones on and walk past kids who were looking for autographs. Because you're listening to loud music or something like that. That's what it's doing now. We used to stand outside for half an hour and sign, sign kids' autographs because they asked you for them. Because my parents always said to me, you know, when when you if you do well, Joe, he said people will come up to you and they'll want 30 seconds or 45 seconds or a minute of your time. He says that minute may not mean much to you, but to them, it'll last in their lives, uh, their memories forever. Absolutely, and it's true. It's true. And that's the thing, Joe, I totally agree with you. I think the thing from the modern game, I, I, I totally echo what you're saying in terms of the standard of players. Obviously, I'm 24 and I've grew up in this kind of, the last, obviously, decade. But obviously, when I was really young growing up, you still had guys like Henrik Larsson in Scotland. At the elite level, you were watching guys like Zinedine Zidane down in England to a lesser extent. But yeah. guys, like, guys like Matt Letizia now... Obviously, you mentioned Strachan. Matt Letizia, he was like a kind of old breed player. I always think when I think back to him, he wasn't the fittest, he wasn't the quickest. Some weeks he'd be a 2 out of 10, but some weeks and most weeks he'd be a 10 out of 10. He would get you off your That's seat. Right. And you look at it, and as you mentioned with the guys of your era, you look at it now and because of the money in the game, it seems as if yeah. managers would rather have an athlete who will give them 6 out of 10 every week rather than a flair player that's going to excite the fans like Paul Gascoigne. Um Guys right. like yourself, you know, and you just think it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. With the more money in the game, we should arguably be seeing more flair players rather than less. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Carmen. That's exactly how I feel about it. <clears throat> and I think I think probably um, most spectators are the same. You know, they'd, they'd rather have a, a flair player like Andy Ritchie. Absolutely, he epitomised a, a flair player. Mm. And he wouldn't have been in the game for 75 minutes. Then all of a sudden, he'd some magnificent, something brilliant, and they'd win the game. And that's what they look for. We had a wee, wee Johnny Hayes up at uh, Celtic now. We had him at Petrodre. 
And every time he's run down the side of the stand, the stand all sort of sat up and stood up because they expected something to happen with him when he was running with the ball. Yep. That sort of thing. You don't get that now. You know, you don't get that. You get all this passing the ball back all the time, back the way, back the way, back the way. Um, football's... Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got Sky TV. I can watch football every night of the week. And trust me, it's boring. It is boring. And for a, for a professional football to say that, uh, you know, it's, it's no good. But that's the way I feel about it. You know, I don't feel I'm I don't feel I'm getting uh, I'm getting any enjoyment for my money. Uh, I don't feel that they're they're you know making the play, making the, the fans enjoy the game. Um, the, you know, they're not interested. All they're interested at the end of the week is getting that package with the money at, mm. and they don't care. And talk about loyalty, they don't have such a thing as loyalty nowadays. Loyalty is the person that's going to pay them the money. <laughs> that's absolutely true. It is. If we go back to your career now, Joe, you obviously moved on from Aberdeen to Everton, and your manager when you got down to Everton was was Harry Catterick, and he obviously had won league titles and things with Everton. What was he like as a character, and what was Everton like as a club at that time in the in the seventies? <laughs> Well, when that went, Harry Cashew was a Harry Cashew was a, a house steward. He was a, a, a suit manager. He never wore tracksuits. He, he wore a suit, and he had uh, Ian Greaves, who was the the, the big uh, trainer guy. Uh, he was the guy that took all the training and stuff like that. So, but and again, Harry Cashew was a, a real gentleman, a nice man. Wasn't it, I didn't find it very hard to to for him because he's so nice uh, and if, if, ever, if you ever had any doubts of it, he listen, don't worry about it, we'll give another couple of thousand pounds just to make sure that uh, that's going to be alright or this is going to be alright so uh, to me he was just the, the, the perfect manager to run a club but not as a, a football manager, not, not as a, a you know, a working manager somebody good on in the middle of the park he would do all the talks on a Friday before games, he would do all that he never actually stood and watched it because where, where the training ground was, he was in an office and his office looked right onto it. His window was above the, the, the training part, so he watched everything going. He didn't have to go outside, he didn't have to shout, he would take notes down. And then a Saturday and a Friday, he would make his plan and put his plan out, and he's brilliant at that, absolutely brilliant at that. Um, unfortunately, when I went there, it was a uh, there's a changeover time for me going there. Alan Ball and uh, John White, uh, not John White, um, Young, Alec Young, centre uh, forward, very good striker, Scottish guy. Alec Young, Alan Ball, and a few other guys, maybe five or six other players had left at that time. Yeah. In a transition period. <clears throat> and it was, uh, <clears throat> the plan was supposed to be me, the two Joes, me and Joe Royal, we Joe and Big Joe. Uh, and that was a attack force. I played one game with Big Joe, and he did his disc, his back disc, and, and he was out for me every ten months. Uh, so I was basically stuck up front myself uh, with, with about five midfield players, not not strikers really, just midfield players, you know, um, which is fine. And, and we did all right, you know, we didn't do too bad. I, I was top goal scorer. Uh, my first game was probably the best game of football I've ever played in my life without scoring. Uh, I hit the bar twice, hit the post twice, and missed a penalty against Spurs. Um, I tend to keep it the wrong way as well, but I hit the post and it bounced out. 
Um, I got standing a basement at the end of the game, but I just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. I did. We won 3 1. We won 3 1. That was my debut. Uh, my following game was at Chelsea in London. I scored, the, I scored for us in the 89th minute. And unfortunately, Osgood, Peter Osgood, equalised with two minutes in the injured time. We ended up 1 1. And that was it. And uh, it was, you know, such a, a great time to be in Liverpool because Liverpool was a, a, a place that was buzzing at the time. And people were fantastic, just very ordinary uh, people. And it didn't, didn't matter where you go, you're either a Liverpool supporter or an Everton supporter. Everybody talked about football. I remember getting in a taxi once in Liverpool as a woman, and I actually said, I said, oh, thank God I'm in a taxi. There's Nobody's going to talk about football. And she pulled her, her the visor down. I know it was all Everton. They <laughs> pictures of Everton, Everton players and everything that. She was probably worse than the men. Um, but that's just what it was. You know, it was a, again, it's a working class city and the people are working class and they just love their football. My first derby game, uh, if I didn't know better, because I knew what ends, what ends were Everton ends and what ends were the other teams ends. So my first derby game against Liverpool at Everton, if I hadn't known when was the Everton fans, I wouldn't have known who was who because there's red and blue all over the place with each other because families support Everton. You, know, you may have five brothers, three of them support Everton, two of them support Liverpool and vice versa. Uh, so you never saw any trouble. Uh, it was just a great atmosphere altogether. In terms of Everton, you played with some true Everton legends during your time there. Joe Royal, Howard Kendall in and around the club. What were those two guys like in particular? Because as I say, they are Everton greats. Well, Howard especially. Uh, Joe, and, Joe and I became really good friends. Joe and I, we travelled every game. We, we'd always travel together. We'd stand the bus together. We were in the same rooms together. Howard was the captain of the team. and He was a really, really great captain. Uh, very well spoken, very level headed, um, always always urging you on. Even when you were playing well and doing well, he was always wanting to get another five for ten. Yeah, and that, he was good at that. And what, what a great he was a great advert for football. But he was a great player himself. He worked his socks off, so you had to work as hard as him to feel that you were equal to him. Um, and he was a he was a good player. As I said, the the, the Spurs game. I did everything but score my debut, but I made the three goals and two of them were for Howard. And I don't think I think that's probably why we bonded together uh, together really well because of that game. You know, I mean we we played a lot of great games after that, but that particular game, um, it was just as if I'd just walked into Carlo or Aberdeen, uh, got ready and got out and played and knew everybody. Obviously, I didn't know everybody. Yeah. Guys like Tommy Wilson who played, played in the World Cup for England in '66. He was playing the team and um, oh, loads of other guys. Mike Bernard, great player. Uh, right back, fantastic. Scotsman as well. You John Conley. John Conley played with St. Johnston. Left wing at St. Johnston. He's really liked down there, John. You'd be Tiger McLaughlin. John McLaughlin, he used to play for Falkirk and played with Everton uh, at left back. So, uh, you know, it was, it was fantastic. There's a lot of good people there, a lot of good Scottish people there. And they... Uh, I mean, some of the parties we had, the Christmas party we had for the kids, for everybody's kids. You know, if, you, if you're married and your kids and that, we used to have a Christmas party at the ground. 
and uh, I was Santa Claus, of course. <laughs> uh, and I could, you know, I mean, I ended up getting them to sing uh, "Old Lang Syne" and uh, all the Scottish <laughs> songs and stuff. And the other guys were joining in. It was really, really good. But uh, yeah, it was a happy time. Plus the fact, after my first game, uh, I got tapped on the shoulder sitting in the players' lounge, and it was Freddie Star coming in, Freddie Star. And Freddie Starr and I became really good friends after that. In fact, we, me and my wife stayed with him uh, for about two months, three months until we got a house. And believe me, that was an experience with him and Betty, his wife and his kids. It was a great, great experience. A funny, funny man all the time. And he had a, a, a wonderful time there. In terms of Freddie Starr, obviously, we all know that famous headline, Freddie Starr ate my hamster. I hope you didn't have any hamsters at the time, Joe. <laughs> No, I didn't have any hamsters. He didn't eat any hamsters. Just, <laughs> just a stupid hoax that had gone wrong, you know. I mean, uh, I mean, he got so much reverse there, but, uh, and that's when people really took to him and realised what a genius he was as a, a comedian. Um, I'll never forget the, the, the Hitler when he dressed up as Hitler uh, and he's playing football and he's taking penalty kicks and he's got his wellies on. Instead of football boots, it's his wellies on these. His left well in his right foot, and his right well in his left foot. <laughs> his shorts are good. It's probably underneath his knees and his jacket. Oh, just absolutely a genius he was. He's just a genius. How do you reflect on your time at Everton overall, Joe? Because obviously you come back up to Scotland next with Hibs. But before we come to Hibs, as I say, how do you reflect in that time? <clears throat> I, I enjoyed that. really enjoyed it. I didn't want to leave Everton. Um, there were two things that made me leave Everton. One was the fact that Harry Catrick had a heart attack and had to get up and they brought in Billy Bingham. Now, there was a program going, at that, going about at that thing called Billy Liar and that's what all the players called Billy Bingham because he kept telling lies about players and getting them into trouble. Uh, he's, he, and he hated the Scottish. For an Irishman to, to know like the Scottish is most unusual, but that's he true. did. Um, and and the, other, the, the second part was the most important part for me. My wife was having her first, her first baby, Ross, <clears throat> and she was having a hard time down there. She didn't have a lot, of, didn't have a lot of friends as such a big family, <clears throat> and she just wanted to get back up home to be with her family. And I was out training. I was still playing the first team. I was still top goal scorer. And uh, Bingham came out and says, uh, he says we've had a, uh, an interest from Aberdeen Football Club. He says, uh, are you interested in going back? I says, I certainly would be. He says, oh, okay then. He says, well, leave it with me. Give me a train and I'll speak to you later on. He came in about half an hour later and he says, uh, oh, he says, Hibs are showing an interest in you. Eddie Turnbull. He says, would you go there? I said, oh, I don't know. I said, I'm not, I'm not so sure about Hibs. He says, Eddie Turnbull, obviously, I love him, but I'm not so sure about Hibs. He says, well, we'll see what happens. So I think what he'd done was, Aberdeen had shown an interest. He went upstairs and phoned Eddie Turnbull and said, would you interest in the half? He wants him to get away. I wouldn't want him to get away. But I said, you know, I'd be interested. And then when Eddie put a bid in, which is higher than Aberdeen's bid, Aberdeen came back again and said, no, me this. So he eventually went to 120,000. And Hibs had paid 120,000. And Aberdeen said, no, we're cool now. In those days, you couldn't choose, Carl. You couldn't just say, oh, I want to go to Aberdeen. Even if I want to. There's 10,000 left. I want to go to Aberdeen. They, no, they wanted as much money as they could for you. Ever yeah. <clears throat> so eventually, Aberdeen pulled out and they, 
I said, I've got a, a good wee drink, me. I said, yeah, wee bit boozy. Uh, he went, ah, no problem. So I said, you're not back for another three, four weeks, so don't worry about it. He says, you know when you've got to start your training yourself before you go back to the fortnight. He says, that's okay, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. He says, I need you to do me a favour. I says, yeah, whatever, whatever. He says, could you come through to Edinburgh tomorrow, this was the Monday, uh, to go through on the Monday morning, uh, to Edinburgh to, to see me at two o'clock? I said, ah, okay. I said, what? Um, because of that crowd, they were always shooting and balling. I actually said to him, I said, what, is there something on, boss? Is there something, a movement? He said, no, no, no. He says, there's a team, <coughs> excuse me, he says, there's a team called Gornick Zagreb. He says, and they're supposed to play Stoke City in a friendly, and Stoke City are pulled out. He says, so we're going to play them. He says, so he comes through, and boss, boss, I'm, I'm so unfit just now. Don't worry about it. He says, you've got a wee bonus for the crowd being there and that. He says, we'll just get the game out of the road. He says, so, he says, get your dad to take you through or something like that. So, right, okay then. So, my dad, I, I get a ferry over uh, to a draw. So, my dad picked me up and we drove through to Edinburgh. No, I said to so I said to Eddie, I said, I said, what is this? Is it a mover or something like that? He says, no, we're playing this team. I went, oh, okay, then. And I said, you know, I'm pretty drunk, so I don't know how it'll be. He said, it doesn't matter. He says, just you get yourself through here. So we go through. Um, we played the game. We won 5 nothing. I scored the five goals. And I get booed off the park. <laughs> and I always say to people, I'm bloody sure there wasn't a lot of Gordon Exagnet supporters there. <laughs> and it was just this bunch of guys. You know, that this crowd that just didn't like me for, didn't matter what I did. And that's when Eddie said to me, he says, he says, okay, so I'll tell you what. He says, do you want to move? I says, listen, boss, I says, I'm enjoying it here. I says, and I love playing under you. I says, but you, you, you've heard them, you've, you've heard them all season, you heard them tonight, especially a friendly game, you know. He says, I know, I know. I says, okay, well, leave away, man. So that was that. So a fortnight later, He's got me a chance to go and speak to Ali McLeod at Aberdeen and I signed for Aberdeen. That day, uh, the day he told me that Ali was interested in me, I went up to Abroth and I signed in Abroth. But Ali McLeod said to me, he said, it was Eddie who phoned us and said, listen, Joe would like, he, he, he didn't want it. He says, but I think it's better for all of us if Joe moves again. He said, do you want him? And Ali McLeod said, yeah. In terms of getting back to Aberdeen, obviously having done so well there before, was it something you were absolutely over the moon with? Oh, I, oh yeah. I mean, you know, uh, just just a dream come true. You know, there's not a lot of people who leave clubs and go back to their clubs again. And it was a test. It was a test with me. It was a test with the fans. Of, you know, was that going to be as good when I went there as I was before I went away again? As soon as I got back to Aberdeen, unfortunately, I couldn't. Have, I got back 75, 76 season. And on the 75, end of 75, 76 season, I couldn't play because I'd signed after the deadline. If you, I think if you're in relegation trouble or, or you're challenged for the top, the last six games of the season, you weren't allowed to play. And that's when I signed. So I couldn't play. Aberdeen were at bottom, second bottom in the league at the time. It was Dundee and Dundee United fighting it out. 
and Aberdeen only stayed up eventually by point something a goal, but point three two goals more than Dundee had. Dundee get relegated, so I had to go and play in the reserves, and and basically sit there and and pray that we, we just stayed up, um, which we did do. But when I got there, my first game was against Aberdeen. We were playing Kilmarnock at Kilmarnock in a league game, and I wanted to go and watch the game. Eddie Turnbull said, hey, uh, Ali McLeod says to me, he says, no, 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 he says, you know, we want you to play games, we want you to get you really fit again, keep going. And I said, ah, okay then. So I played against our growth uh, at Capo, at uh, um in my first game, my first reserves. Um, we won 7-1. Big Walker McCall, who's like an ex-teammate of mine, uh, had scored six that day, and I scored the last goal. And Walker said to me, he says, you know, after I did that game, he says, I thought myself, for the first time in my life, my name will be up there above Joe Harper's. He says, I got the paper on the Monday morning, and the headline was, the King returns and scores a goal. And by the way, Walker McCall's goes to that. He says, I was I was gutted. He said, I was gutted the whole thing. He said, I couldn't believe it. Um, there's, a, oh, there's, there's 12,000 at our game. There's 4,000 at home Manic, uh, Premier League game. But we had 12,000 at reserve game. So, That's amazing. So, it was a happy return. Scored a goal. Back in track again. Your time at Aberdeen when you returns a very successful time for not just yourself, but the club. When you just come back, the, the club wins the League Cup against Celtic. 2-1 victory. How good was that? Oh, that's good. When I spoke earlier on about the Scottish Cup final, hold on, Cam, I'm just going to plug this phone in because it's going to be a bit low. Not a problem. Um, I was talking earlier about, you know, when you win things, you want to beat the best. Oh, that couldn't have been any better for for me, especially because we played Rangers in the semi-final and beat them 5-1 at Hamden oh, in the semi-final. And then we got Celtic in the final. The difference between those games was that we played Rangers off the park that day. And the final was different. Celtic were the better team that day, but they just couldn't score. Most of the, most of the chances they had Celtic, Danny McGrain, and Danny wasn't the best finisher in the world. <clears throat> so, so to me, that's, a, that's the utmost in any player's life is to beat the big two semi-final final when I walk away with the trophy. And it was fantastic because, you know, some boys... Uh, Arthur Graham, who was growing into a man at that point and was probably the best winger in Britain at that time. He was running rings around Danny as a defender uh, the whole game. Um, and it, we went to Glen Eagles the night before the game, stayed at Glen Eagles. We're down for breakfast on the Saturday morning before we go to Hamden. And Bobby Clark, we're all sitting at the table, the boss is there, the other guys, and Bobby Clark. Oh, I had a funny dream last night. And I thought, what, what, what was that? See, you wouldn't believe it. See, but I dreamt the big Davy, Davy Robb, came on as a substitute and scored the winning goal. And big Davy's sitting there and Davy says, oh, thanks, Bobby. So that means I'm not playing. And he said, oh, no, I don't know, Davy. See, I'm just telling you what my dream was. Now, if I hadn't been there and heard him his own word, I'd have said there's a lot of rubbish. But that's exactly what happened. Big Davy came on as a substitute, went in the extra time, and he scored the winning goal. And, scary. You know, how, how scary is that? Absolutely. Um, but as I say, if you're beating it, if you're going to beat people to win things, you want to beat the best. 
in that particular cup to beat Rangers in the semi-final and Celtic in the final. You, you win that cup final, another trophy under your belt with Aberdeen, and as we say, the second spell is very successful, you're scoring goals for fun, and you get to another two cup finals that ultimately in the end, over that the piece at Aberdeen, you, you lose to Rangers. Just how hard yeah. is it when you lose in cup finals? Because obviously you've had your fair share of success as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you need to, if you, you know, if, you're, if you, you're a professional and you're in love with the game, it doesn't matter when you get beat, you get beat, it's, it's disappointing. We didn't really turn up against Rangers, although we were robbed that day because Big Derek Johnson filled in a, brick, a, a pile of bricks and Doogie Doogie, Doogie touched them, Doogie Doogie was sent off for it, referee never saw it, put his flag up, says that Doogie kicked them from the behind, Doogie sent off. Um, so, I mean, these things, you, you, you can't win all the time, Carl. You know, you, we don't have to be winners all the time, but, you know, you've you got to be able to, to take defeats as much as you enjoy winning cup finals, is to take the defeat the way it should be. Shake your hand and then walk away disappointed. Be disappointed. Be disappointed for a week if you want, or a fortnight. But, you know, yeah, that was one thing Eddie Turnbull always used to say as well. He said, never let them know that they're getting to you. So, if Celtic had beaten us, our Rangers had beaten us. You went out, you shoot your hand, and you walked away and said, "Well, well done. You, you know, best team won." And walk in. You don't have to be happy about around the dressing room. You can sit there, you can cry if you want, you can sob, whatever you want. But don't show the opposition how much it hurts to get beat. And that's the way we. That's the way we were brought up with him. See, in terms of that second spell at Aberdeen, Joe, I'm interested to ask you. Obviously. Both spells you had at Aberdeen were very successful. You're the, the club's record goal scorer. You're an absolute legend, as we've talked about, the, the king of Pataudry. But do you think you were a better player for Aberdeen in your first spell or your second spell, and why? That's <coughs> an interesting question. I've never been asked that before. Um, probably my second spell when I came back. Um, I mean... The first spell, you're still a young boy, 21, 20 years of age, and you're winning a Scottish Cup, and it's fantastic, you know. And that's 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 the thing that's always going to come back to me first is that that winning that first medal, that Scottish Cup thing. But then when I came back, I'd been to England, I'd come back, I'd been to another club, Hibs, and I'd come up to Aberdeen. Different people, different players from the players that I'd left behind. Uh, you know, a lot of them were away at that time, they'd left the club. But there's still that sort of camaraderie at a club that Aberdeen were famous for, you know, having a really good bunch of guys. Uh, if you're if you're an idiot, then you soon got a belt along for the players to tell you don't be an idiot, you know. Um, and probably I was more mature in the way I played football. Um, I was I was very good with I had really two good feet. I was blessed with a really fantastic right foot as far as I was concerned. But when I was at Morton, I used to work on my left foot, you know, an awful lot. And it became just as good as my right foot. So I could play football. Um, I didn't chase about with an idiot, you know, just running for the sake of running. I was more mature. I could hold the ball up better. I could bring people into the game better. And I was more wiser with defenders, you know. I could I could stand on their toes that I didn't used to do just to stop them from being able to run and, that sort of thing, all the tricks they trade, I've learned everything for Joe Royal. Uh, and then, of course, I ended up with Stevie Archibald, great striker as well. Um, so, probably the, 
the, the first time is uh, really exciting. The second time <coughs> uh, was great because I was, as far as I was concerned, I was back home, back home where I belonged, Aberdeen, not being back home in Aberdeen, uh, where I knew that the fans really loved me. Absolutely. And were behind me. And when 12,000 people turned up at your first game, it's a reserve game. You know, I mean, they were only getting about 500 to 1,000 a game in those days. And all of a sudden, there's 12,000 at a game. Um, it was, it was uh, yeah. And that sort of thing, I, I've always said that, and I always will do it, that the supporter, the support of Aberdeen were my 12th man. They were the ones that gave me, uh, you know, the energy to go on and maybe score in a lot. How many goals I scored in the last minute of games is unbelievable, but it was always because they were behind me all the time. You know, even if I was having a bad game, uh, they would get behind me and I'd end up scoring. You know, I wasn't the best player in the park by any means, but then I, I scored the winning goal and that was it. So, it was, it was a great feeling coming back. No no trepidation at all about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to do it, and that was the Petodre. Not only do, we, do people call you the king of Petodre, obviously the king of the beach end as well, the traditional home yeah. end of Petodre, and being obviously the club's record goal scorer, being inducted to the club's Hall of Fame, being such a legendary figure and being loved by Aberdeen fans, as you mentioned, just how incredible was that for you then as a player and how incredible is it even now because you're still absolutely adored by Aberdeen fans and rightly so. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It's been a fantastic experience. I, mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, I've made mistakes in my life and uh, we've come through it. And I just, I love the game of football. I love playing at Aberdeen. I loved the fans. I loved the fans wherever I was. I mean, modern fans were, were brilliant to me when I was a, a young boy coming through that period uh, and stood by me. And I, I'm, I'm in contact with an awful lot of them nowadays because you've got social media. <clears throat> in fact, I play Scrabble with one of them every bloody day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience and I really loved it. Um, I think... Getting getting into the Hall of Fame, the Scottish Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm a Hall of Fame at the Aberdeen anyway. Yeah. Uh, the Scottish Hall of Fame was just it was. I didn't think it would come uh, because of things that happened in Copenhagen, which should never have happened. It was nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with Arthur Graham. We get inveigled in here by the SFA took us in, and we get blamed for something that we had none, nothing whatsoever to do with. Uh, and the band is supposed to be banned for life, but is, and then found out after a couple of months that we had nothing to do with it. So they said, we'll bring you back. I said, oh, that's great. When are you going to do that? Oh, a year from now. Only because they didn't want to get a red face by saying that they'd mucked up, uh-huh. you know, banning two players and weren't even involved with the thing. So because of that, I just thought, well, I'm never going to get into Scottish Fame because I thought I'd probably them and deal with it. But it's nothing to do with that. Really, the Scottish Hall of Fame is for what you've done for Scottish football, what you've done for your club, and the things that you do outside the game for your club and, you know, for charity and stuff like that, hospitals. And I do a lot of that. I do. So, but but that's part of my makeup. That's my my mum and dad brought me up that way, you know, to be nice to other people, to look after other people, to make sure, you know, if somebody asks you to do something and you can do it to help them, or to help one of their relatives or something like go and do it. And I've done that all the time I've been here. So when it, when I did get told by Kirsty from the SFA 
I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I'm not scared to say it. I did cry. I did have a tear in my eye. That's um, so, you know, and the night itself, that night when we went to Hamden Collector, uh, Sheila, um, my missus, she had got my best pals to go. Drew Jarvey was doing the presentation. That was fantastic. I was told it was going to be Alex Ferguson or Wally Miller. It was Drew. I was, if I, anybody choose to do it, it would have been Drew. And he did it. Uh, and all my best mates, Sheila invited all my best mates down, and they all came. I didn't know anything about that. And then my whole family came, the grandkids, and Brilliant. the kids, uh, my kids, Sheila's kids, you know, everybody's kids were there. And, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic, absolutely fantastic night that I'll never forget. We've talked about the positives of your career, and obviously you won a league a league title with Aberdeen as well. And it'd be wrong of me not to ask this question, obviously, Joe. Um, you were managed by Sir Alex Ferguson, and it's been well known from your point of view and his point of view that the working relationship wasn't the best, and it certainly wasn't the working relationship you had with Eddie Turnbull, who you've been on his record the same was the best manager you ever had. What was it you, yeah. you found about Sir Alex that just made the, the relationship untenable, even though it was still successful for him and you? Mm, he wasn't a nice man. It's as simple as that. You know, <clears throat> any any Aberdeen fan, any Man United fan, anybody that comes up and says, oh, what about Alex? Or Alex I said, Listen, if you're asking me to, to say something about it, you're not going to like it because I don't like the man. I said, and he doesn't like me. I'm glad to say he doesn't like me. We don't talk. I'm not interested in him. I'm not interested in what he does. I said, don't get me wrong. If you look at his record, magnificent, Aberdeen, you know, won the uh, Euro- Europa Cover. And Man United, this is, but he's not a nice man. And he's very, he's been a very lucky man. It wasn't his team. When he came to Aberdeen, all these young boys were coming through the grades and were playing. It was Billy McNeil and Ali McLeod that brought these guys through. Alec Ferguson came and just sealed the ship. In fact, if Ali McLeod hadn't been asked for to do the Scotland job, he would have done it probably the, the next year. But he went away to Scotland. Big Billy came up. He couldn't turn down Celtic saying, come to us. So he went to Celtic, uh, and Fergie was well. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to say bad things about the guy because I'm not. I don't want to get into it. You know, I could tell you a lot of things that would shock a lot of people, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm just. I'm just happy to say that I, I'm not friendly with him. Yeah. I'm not interested in him, and I hope he's not friendly with me. I don't want to be say he has. He's trying to. He's trying to. We've been at meetings. I've been me all, all my pals and a lot of my businessmen. And he'll go, ah, hello, Joe, hello, Joe. And I just ignore him. But so I'm not interested. You know, I don't like false people. Uh, and he's false. Uh, he's a bully. He used to bully all the kids. He never bullied me. You know, I mean, I've hit him a couple of times. We've had, we've had a rame. I've hit him a couple of times. Uh, and in the football sense. And um, it's just uh, all, the, all the young kids. He used to bully young kids. You know, find them wages when they're only getting about 30 quid a week. You're them three or four weeks' wages and stuff like that. You know, you don't do that, young kids. You know, you're an extra man. Maybe come in and do extra training or something like that, but you don't take money off them. It's not, you know, you can't be like that. And it's just, uh, basically, that's, uh, I don't like, I, I'm, I'm, you're lucky you're even getting in with me, Cam, because I don't like speaking about them. I'm not interested in them. Obviously. Uh, you know, he's had his life, I've had my life. I'm happy with what I've done in my life, and I'm sure he's happy with what he's done with it. The way I've done it, a lot better than the way he's done it. Because ah. I was always thought up to be polite. If a woman comes on to a bus, stand up and get her a seat. 
an old man's up there, help him. With the shopping, help him with the shop. That's the way I was brought up. And that's the, I, I think everybody can do that without being nasty. Without having a power to do things to kids that, you know, you shouldn't really do. You shouldn't show a bad example by doing that and be nasty to them. But as I say, he never did that with the older players. He threw a cup, he threw cups at Jim uh, Rayton and Doogie Rugby and people like that in a dressing room. Great. If he wants to do that, it's fine. But if that's the way he handles things, that's thing. I, I can think of better ways to handle than throwing cups and stuff like that to people. So I'm, I'm happy with the fact that I played under him for two years. Yes. And both years I scored 32 goals and 33 goals. Fantastic. In the last two years. And as you say as well, the fact is of the matter, I mentioned that obviously I asked you about your relationship with him. We've talked about the fact that it wasn't great, but at the same time, it's testament to yourself as a player, Joel, that the relationship wasn't the best, but you still went about doing your job. You still scored the goals. You won a league title under him. So as much as the relationship, you could say, was non-existent, it didn't affect you on the pitch. And for me, that shows no, that shows the, that shows the character that you had. You look at the modern game yeah. now, and for instance, we'll compare your situation with Alex Ferguson to Pogba and Jose Mourinho. Pogba for Mourinho, just down tools, didn't play. Mourinho ends up getting sacked, whereas you were the opposite. Yes, the personal relationship yeah. wasn't there, but you get your head down, you worked hard, you were successful. And as you said, at the end of the day, when you eventually left Aberdeen, you could look back with your head held high knowing you gave everything in spite of any adversity put in front of you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt my fans. You know, I, I didn't want to, want to hurt the people who are paying money to come in the game. I'm not going to go in the huff and not do this and not do that because of him. I just went out and did what I was getting paid money to do, and that was score goals. But even with the, the 32 goals and 33 goals, he, he, was, he, tried, he was trying to get rid of me. He's still going to get rid of me. He said, I'm, you know, you won't be here next year. But because I, was, I kept scoring goals, he couldn't get rid of me. You know, he wanted to bring in Mark McGee. You know, he couldn't get rid of me. It was as simple as that. Um, until I get the injury and then that arm. But listen, at the end of the day, Carl, now I'm not going to tell you, at the end of the day, it was not through football that I got angry with Alex. It was through the way he carried on with the young boys. Yeah. Definitely. But it was after I'd finished football and I went into a job. Twice I went into a job and twice he got me the sack because he didn't like what he was hearing, what he heard from it. He didn't like being... People talking about the, I, I was in a position where I had to talk about Aberdeen Football Club doing an article and stuff like that. It either be for the paper or for, for the, the radio. And he wasn't happy with what he heard. And it was the truth. What I said was the truth. At that time, they were struggling, really struggling. And what he's done, came on and done fine. But as I say, those young boys would have been world beaters anyway. And even when he went to Man United, he was one game away from getting sacked at Man United against Northampton or something or Nottingham Forest the semi-final of the cup and the, the one that they brought in all the young boys the David Beckhams the Nevilles all these guys and they won that game and won, and won the cup and that saved them so, but it's what he did to me he got me the sack twice and that's the difference between that and football is that's my livelihood that was money he was taking out my wife and my family's mouth Absolutely. by doing that and that's what made me angry so and that's the end of talking about Fergie. In terms of Aberdeen, Joe, obviously, 
relationships with managers and things aside, your time at the club, as we talked about, an incredible time, not only to win the Scottish Cup, the League Cup, also a league title, which we look at now and the game we've talked about earlier on, the modern game, been dominated by money, been dominated by um, so many other factors that weren't around back in back when you played. And to be honest, let, let's be honest, you, pro- you played in what we would call a real football generation where football was for the fans and it was a working class sport. Do you look back now? Absolutely. Do you look back now with even more fondness on the time that you played football and your time at Aberdeen? Because you'll never be forgotten because football's changed in a way that for Aberdeen to win the title now, it would take a minor miracle, which is quite sad. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. It's changed so much and, and that's because of television. You know, the money, the television, it's guys throwing about spoiling the game. You get football every night of the week, which is ridiculous. And it's not always good football. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit sick of it. Um, no, hey, listen, uh, we'll go back to the beginning. 1958, when I saw that young guy, Pele, I always said, I want to win a cup. I want to win a league. I want to win a cup. I want to play in the World Cup. Well, that young boy, at 15 years of age, when he signed for Morton, did all those things. I won a a World Cup cup. I went to Argentina with them. I scored twice. I played four games. Obviously, the ban affected a lot of that. I I actually played two and a half games because I played two full games and then I played 20 minutes and 15 minutes. Yeah. I came on as a sub in my first game for 20 minutes and scored a goal and I played in Argentina for 15 minutes. So I've only played really two and a half games. Scored two goals unbeaten. To me, that's a... I've won my cup. That would have been, that would have been enough for me. But to win another cup, to win a league... To win a bronze boot for being sub top goal scorer in Europe, when Gerd Muller was a top goal scorer, he got a gold boot. In 1972, that was. I mean, how many players are going to do that? I don't think there's anybody ever won a bronze boot or a silver boot or a gold boot in Europe, any Scottish player. So, exactly. You, know, you might win it in the league, you get a gold boot now for being top goal scorer in the Premier League in Scotland, stuff like that. I'm talking about Europe, that 72 season. Those 33 goals got me the bronze boot for being a sub-top goal scorer in Europe. So I've, I've got all my dreams. I love all my dreams. I, love, I, can, I can go and sit with, with, with fans and, and sometimes I get a wee bit embarrassed because you're talking to somebody that's maybe 80 or 85 or something and, you know, and, and they keep saying, oh, you made my teenage days. You were, you, you were great. I loved it. And you, and I, and you were, we had a real team in those days. And I can talk about it forever. I can also tell them, they'll say to me, do you remember this goal? And I'll tell, tell me when, what team was it and when was it? I can remember it. I can go back. I can't tell you what happened yesterday. But I can go back to those years and, and reminisce about them. Uh, and that means, and I'm also talking about Morton, going back to those days at Morton when I was scoring goals. I can, I can remember all my goals as well. It's just, it's just a thing that's inside me now. Um, football's been my life. I've had a good living out of it. I've met so many wonderful people in the game that I wouldn't have met if I hadn't been playing football. And uh, I've got no, no regrets, no qualms, nothing about my football life. And uh, when a big man shouts to me to go, I'll be perfectly happy because I'll be happy with my life. And when you look back now, Joe, 
Being a wee guy from Greenock, who played, as you say, for <clears throat> Larkfield Boys Club, came from a working class background, worked your way up to be the all-time leading goal scorer of such a historic club like Aberdeen. As you say, you've got no regrets, and looking back, are you just filled with sheer immense pride and, and just a joy that you got to live football when football was, was a really true working class sport, and that's when football was the people's game? Yeah. Yeah, I think you just summed it up brilliantly there, Carl. That's exactly how I feel. The only, the only, the, the, the only bad thing about uh, my life was when I got awarded the, the Hall of Fame in Scotland. My mum and dad died a couple of years ago, um, within six months of each other. And, you know, if the, if the SFA had done the right thing by me, I'd have been the Hall of Fame quite a few years ago. And it'd be nice for my mum and dad to be at Hamden that night to watch. I mean, Sheila and all my family say, your mum and dad will be watching you anyway, Joe, for above. But it would be nice if they just done it a wee bit earlier to let my mum and dad be there, because I know they'd be so proud. I'll tell you a story about the, <clears throat> the, the Denmark game when I made my, my debut for Denmark. I went over there and I came on as a substitute, as I said, and I scored the goal uh, when I came on as a substitute. Well, the second game I played in Denmark, in Denmark when I scored the only goal of the game, um, the game was televised in Scotland. So I knew that my mum and dad and all my family everywhere were watching me that night when I scored that goal. And that was the greatest feeling I ever had in my life, saying that. My dad went down to his work That's the amazing. next day, the Thursday, Scotch shipyard, and we're doing it in the big door that was always open for the guys going through and their work was closed. They couldn't understand it. So we went in the side door and came in the side door. And when he went out the office onto the, the workplace, all the guys that were working on the boats were all standing lined up on each side of them. And they had to walk up the middle of it. And they all threw their caps in the air, shouting, Hey, me joy, go on, me joy. That's the thing that makes me proud. The thing that, that thing makes me proud that my dad walked up there with all these guys shouting that name. That's incredible, and and as I say, for I'm a I'm a young guy from Greenock. Obviously, I'm I'm 24, but in terms of football for myself, I'm quite a, I'm quite a geek. I, I I I love watching clips from the the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and watching all the great teams and great managers. Because I, although I'm you could say part of that young generation, over the last 10 years, I've noticed that the shift in football has changed and. The reason I love Scottish football now even so much, as you've said, maybe we do lack the 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 game changers that we had back in, in previous generations. But what I do like about our game is it's not like the Premier League in England, which is just so saturated with money. I mean, as we were talking about earlier, you look at guys earning 300 grand a week and I can't relate to that yeah. and I'm sure you can't as well. So looking back, no, I think you crazy. played in the area of football that, that for me, I just desperately wish I was able to grow up in and be part of because as we talked about earlier with the cup finals you had 108,000 passionate fans at that first cup final now when you look yep. at the Champions League you're getting 60,000 seater stadium and most of those tickets go to sponsors and for me football shouldn't be like that so you played in an era of the game for me that I think looking back in the next 20, 30, 50 years will always be remembered as the best era of football because it's when football was football yeah, yeah. The other thing you've got to take in consideration is that, I mean, I could go back to the 70s, 60s and 70s and tell you the Harps team, the Hibs team, the Celtic team, the Rangers team, the Motherwell team. I kind of go back. I, some of these teams, I can't 
kind of, I can't spell their names, never mind say who's that. You know, they're, they're bringing people in who don't give themselves to the fans. You know, I used to give myself to the fans. If I was asked to do anything, to go and visit a hospital, I would do it. Right? You ask, you ask these modern-day players, they're not interested. They're all interested in getting their money. I mean, for Pogba to sit in their dugout and get the money he's getting, because he'll not... I mean, if, if I had been Eddie Turnbull, Eddie Turnbull would have kicked him out. He'd have kicked him out. He'd say, go away, go. Go get another team. Don't want you. You're not going to get paid by us anymore. Go away. But these guys are happy to sit there and collect all that money because they go in the half because, you know, maybe they think they're better players than they are or maybe they think they're getting cheated badly. You don't do that. The best way to get over that sort of thing is prove how good you are and get the fans behind you. And then you'll, you'll last a lot longer. Because Pogba's, Pogba's rate of interest in money-wise has gone down because of the way things have happened there. Absolutely. And there's been other players exactly the same that have done it. And it, it's not good enough. The last, hey, big, the last big question before I, I would, come... I wouldn't change my era for anything. That's brilliant, because I was about to come on to... The last big question before a wee round of quickfire is... What advice would you give to any young boys from Greenock hoping to make it in the game now based on your experiences of, of playing and what we talked about, a great era of football? Work hard at your game. If, you're, if you've got a ta- talent, work at it. Although you've got a talent, it doesn't mean it's final. You've got to work, in, as I say, I worked in both my feet. I was, I was right-footed, right-handed, and that was my best foot. But then I worked so hard with the Eric Sorensen, the Kaya Hansen's, Third bathrooms at, at uh, Greenock uh, that my left foot became as good as my right foot, and that's an asset for a striker. If you're two-footed, the goalkeeper doesn't know which way you're going. If you're only right footed, you're going to go into your right foot. If you're only left footed, you're going to your left foot. When you're two-footed, you've got a big advantage in the goalkeeper. Work hard, enjoy it. It's a great life. You're out there every day in the fresh air, working, training, playing football, having a laugh with your mates. It's like having a family. That's what we were at Aberdeen, a family. We were a, br- a bunch of brothers. And you know what brothers are like. They fight each other. And that, that, that's what we were. Willie Young, Willie Miller, Martin Buchan, the lot of them. Because they kicked me in training. Simple. But that's what I saw. That's the enjoyment of it. I've been around the world twice, Calm. It hasn't cost me a penny. Playing games. I've been to New Zealand. I've been to Canada. I've been to Australia. All these places. Portugal. Poland, Disney Mar, Denmark, everywhere. And that's a great that's the beauty of it. You know, you can see the world and you can just be a footballer. And if people say you're just a footballer though, you've got to make sure you're a good footballer. Um, first one being, who would you say are the best players you've played with? Well Drew Jar Drew Jarv is definitely the best striker I've played with. I've played with Kate of Greece, I've played with Joe Jordan, Stevie Archibald. Um, people like that and I think Drew and I had a great relationship we, we had a sort of mental thing going we knew where each other was at certain times um, so I would say Drew Jarvie young Arthur Graham when he came to the club it was just out of this world what a talent he was um, so I mean yeah there's a lot of, I mean a lot of great uh, the Aberdeen team I played with in the 70s was magnificent everyone there was a gentleman Good guys. Uh, but no, those those two especially. I played with Billy Graham. I thought he was a great player, but he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't as nice as Arthur Graham, and 
people are there, you know, so, yeah. Drew Jarvis would be the best striker I've played with. Arthur Graham would be the best I've played with. Um, I probably would have to say Billy Brennan was a, a really good player, although I didn't particularly like Billy as a person. He was a, a, a really good player. What about the best players you played against in your career? Well, I had the great pleasure of playing against Bobby Moore when he was still wow. with West Ham, and he was a very, very good player, very talented. He read the game so well. Um, I pretty good. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I played against a lot of great centre halves, and you know, there's too many of them to mention that, that you know we uh, get the best out of me. Uh, Bobby Clark. Uh, I tend to say Bobby Clark was the best goalkeeper player against because I actually played against him when I was the Hibs and uh, I didn't realise how good Billy was when I, uh, Bobby was when I played with him until I played against him for Hibs and I, I realised what a great goalkeeper he was. So there's lots, there's lots of things, lots, lots of people that uh, I love in the game and I, I would love to play with. It's very difficult to pick a, a, a team you know, a best team, but if I ever get asked these questions in, the, in these nights, it'd be good to question, answer things. I always say the 1970 team is the best team i played with. Who, what, who would you say is the most underrated player you ever played with? And that could be underrated by the fans for what they do. Davy Robb, without a doubt. Davy Robb at Aberdeen. <clears throat> David's the one person that I think everybody at Aberdeen would, I, everybody in that era, He'd be the first person to pick a team. If they're picking a team, David was the first one in it because of his work rate, his enthusiasm, his dig, he's up and down the park, he could score goals, but he's also the most frustrating player in the world because he would trip over his own feet or trip over your foot or something like that. You know, he'd miss easy chances. But he was just such a nice guy and you know, a work hard. He looked after wee guys like me. You know, if I get in there, Probably a centre half, big day would just come over and push me away and say, I'll take over. That sort of thing. He was like a, a big brother who looked after you. What about the best manager in your career and why? Without a doubt, 100% Eddie Turnbull. He was the best tactician I know, the best trainer I know. He was innovative about the way he did things. I remember seeing him. Uh, a long time ago, we were doing cross-country runs. I said, boss, why are we doing this? I'm a footballer. If I want to do cross-country runs, I'll be an athlete. He said, oh, just do it. Just do it, Dre. said, just do it. And then, when he just, not long before he died, he was up at Aberdeen with Hibs, watching Aberdeen. He said, call me. I said, remember that? Oh, that years ago, you said that if you want, if you want, to, uh, you want to be an athlete, you'd have to, that's why you would do cross-country runs. I said, nah. He said, well, you're absolutely right, son. He says, because nobody does that now. He says, they all work with a ball. All will work with a ball. And that was the first thing I always remember when I went to Aberdeen at first. The first day I was handed a ball for training. Everybody got a ball for training. At Capo, he never got a ball. You know, and when he did get it, probably played five or six up, up the back of Capo. He stayed there. <laughs> but no, he never all got a ball. You know, you get one ball between maybe ten of you. That was that. But Aberdeen, everybody got a ball because that's where you're playing. Football. And that's why you should have a ball. Who would you say was your most inspirational captain? Mm, that's a good one. Inspirational captain would probably Howard Kendall. Howard Kendall was just a genius. 
but just a, a really nice guy that you, you didn't want to afford it. Even if, if you wanted to afford him, you couldn't afford him. But he was such a good captain. You know, he kept everybody going. He was the one. He, If anybody says that a goalkeeper shouldn't be captain or a centre forward shouldn't be captain, so would be a midfield player. I agree with that. Only because Howard played midfield and he organised everything. He, I mean, he, was a, he was a good enough player to do it. But he also kept everybody going, winding them up, reworking their ear now and again, talking to him. Eddie Turnbull used to go in the, the dressing room sit beside you in the dressing room before a game. Every player, there's a wee word with them. After that wee word, every player thought they were the best player in the team and they were the main man in the team and they had to go and prove it. And they did. You know, he, he, he just made you feel as if you're the best player. And that's the way Howard was. Howard Kendall used to say that, you know, you know come on, you're the wee man. You can, you, you're the man that can change us. We talk to defenders and listen, you're tackling what's saving us keep it going, but stuff like that. So Howard Kendall, I would say, was the best manager, the best uh, captain I played at that. What was your favourite ground to play at? <coughs> um, well, it all be in Scotland. Uh, Capelo, obviously. I loved, I loved, just loved Capelo. Uh, Kilmarnock was the best footballing ground for a lot of years in my time anyway. Uh, the best ground to play on. And... Even I think now they've changed into a they've changed into a uh, was the AstroTurf Park, haven't they? Yeah. I uh, as I know in the early days it was definitely the, the best place to play. In terms of grounds, what were the grounds that you like, maybe you didn't have any of these? Obviously, you scored goals everywhere, so probably not. But was there any grounds you just dreaded going to because it wasn't it was a tough ground to play football at? Maybe the standard of pitch or or just the team. Every audience hated it. Quick question is, if you had a five-a-side team from all the players you played with, who'd be in it? Goalkeeper, Bobby Clark. Drew Jarvey. Uh, probably Martin Buchan uh, back. Definitely Arthur Graham. And is that five? Same four. Bobby. Martin, Drew, me, and I include myself in that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, me and me, Drew, Jarvey, Arthur Graham, uh, Martin Bucket for defending, and the uh, Bobby Parton goal. Brilliant! Thanks for your time, Joe. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Carl. Pleasure speaking to you. So we'll dive down to the ocean, and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave, and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song